You guys know what the tightest shit in the world is? Recording a whole fucking podcast and realizing that your mic wasn't plugged in, so you just used your internal mic, and it sounds like you're recording in a tin fucking can. Super tight! Super tight! That's the most fucking tight shit that has ever happened in my life. Tight! Post. Now you try. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Beer Show. It's fucking... Because I'm coming back to the same goddamn episode because I'm a stupid fucking dickhead who doesn't know how to check if his mic's plugged in. But I'm Adam, and this is the show where we talk about making and drinking beer for fun. And today, we're fucking we're fucking back. We're double back. I've been back. i bent. i bent back. i bent back in the garage talking and drinking beer because this is recording number two. This is take two on this episode. But that's all right. Double your pleasure, double the fun, double IPA, double mint gum. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, today we're talking. If uh, the, the astute ones out there that know how to read titles to podcasts that they're downloading, uh, we're talking how to brew all, all grain, how to brew. Previous episodes are kind of leading into this, and this is just kind of, if anybody's trying to get an audio tutorial on how to, how to brew beer, hopefully this will help you out. The previous episodes, like I said, leading into this. Hopefully you've purchased all the stuff you you need or you're you've been guided into the whatever direction you feel like you need to be in order to do the shit. And now we're gonna tell you how to execute on that fucking on that beer making. So uh yeah, hope it's tight. I hope I hope people can clean it. I'm gonna try and keep it down and dirty and quick and uh we're, we're gonna try and keep it on the rails here. And uh I'll give you I'll go through the materials required and I'll go through it kind of step by step and give you a little bit little nuggets, a little Little, uh, little, little fucking, yeah, nuggets of info that might help you out in, uh, the sort of the, uh, figuring shit out phase. But, uh, yeah, uh, before we get into that, I gotta do a little bit of begging. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, follow, all the bullshit on the podcast. Do it, man. If you like what you're hearing, please do it. Um, because it increases visibility to the show. And as much as I love just talking beer to fucking just into the ether, out into the fucking internet, um, it's also fun to talk beer with people. So, uh, and to know that people appreciate what I'm doing. It increases uh, doing all that horse shit that I said earlier, increases visibility to the show. So anybody who wants to get in on the action can more easily. And uh, it's, it's just super tight if you do that. Also, engage with the show. Talk with me electronically via email. I got an email, yo-yo brewing, all one word, at gmail.com. Call me stupid. Call, tell me all my shit's fucking wrong or whatever. <laughs> whatever, that's the same shit I say every time. But just engage with me on that email one way or another. I'd appreciate it. Yo-yo brewing at gmail.com. So, before we get into fucking how to brew all grain beer, aka how to be tight, how to be the guy that I want to make my best friend, or girl, or gal, not sexist, please don't cancel me, we gotta get into the beer show, show beer. Alright, 
So the Bucher Show Beer, like it says, round two. Luckily, I got it. I had another can of this. I already fucking, I already ripped her open. Uh, <laughs> once I realized I was gonna have to record this again, but today's beer is. That's that's my fingers hitting the empty can because it's already been poured into my glass. Keller Hayes IPA, Keller Hayes India Pale Ale, out of Sun King Brewery in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, it's a slightly hazy IPA. Uh, it's a Keller Hayes. Uh, I think Keller is in reference to Keller beer, which I think Keller beer in German is cellar beer. Um, but really, it's just in reference to the style of beer that. Um, I think Keller beer means that uh, it's just not filtered, it's not cold crashed, it's not lagered, there's just still yeast in suspension. So it kind of looks like just, yeah, yeast is just, there's like dust just flying around in the beer as you're drinking it. Um, And there's a good amount of like yeast, you know, shit just hanging out at the bottom of the glass. I mean, it it looks like a homebrew. It's pretty much what, that's pretty much what Keller means. Most most homebrew beers are Keller beers, unless you're cold crashing and filtering and all that sort of shit. But, But yeah. Uh, Sun King Brew, it's a very colorful can, lots of sort of purples and oranges, and it's a, it's, it's a pretty cool look, pretty look, cool looking can. Uh, last time I was in Indianapolis, I had plenty of this shit, got lit as fuck on this shit, driving around fucking those, those lime scooters. Those, those things are fucking tight. You're, you you look like a fucking, you look like a douche riding around on them, but, but they're fun as fuck. Come on. You can fucking cruise on those things. Um, but Yeah. Can. Keller Hayes uh, is an IPA with pronounced aromas of pineapple, citrus, tropical fruit, and orange peel, finished in a slightly hazy Keller beer style. And they are they're they ain't fucking around with that slightly hazy Keller beer style. That shit is fucking that's very low flock on that one. Low flocculation on this on this bitch, and when I get a good smell on it, yep. First in the nose is I get orange and pineapple on the nose like crazy. And uh yeah. And then in the mouth, pineapple like crazy. You get a bit of that pith. I think it's that pithy bitterness. Just a little bit. Uh, like that orange rind pith sort of shit. But it's not it's not offensive and there's not a whole lot there to it. It's just fruity as all get out. Like a lot of uh, American IPAs are. And uh, it's just a wonderful beer. It's a great beer. If you ever, if you're ever in Indiana, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's all over Indiana. Um, that's that's where I picked mine up because my folks live out that way. Um, but uh, it's where I picked up my sixer of this shit. And uh, but I'm sure you'll be able to find it other places soon. Sun King's doing great shit, and I think that they're on the up and up. So it's a great brewery, great beer. Drink it or don't. I don't care. Whatever. I'm drinking it now, and it's fucking tight. <coughs> so let's get into it. We're talking how to brew beer, all grain style, a.k.a. how to be tight. So let's fire up that notes app. I took some notes just to kind of keep myself on the straight and narrow because I don't want this episode to go for fucking 10 years. So here we go. Materials required. I got a list. Here's all the shit you're going to need. First thing you're going to need is a brew system. Refer to the fucking, I think I call it system of a brew on this podcast. If you want to know about brew systems, refer to that episode. You're going to need a system. You're going to need a little bit of knowledge on how to use it. Even if it's something you cobble together. And if you cobble together, you probably know what the fuck you're doing when you're using it, hopefully. Um, So you're going to need that. Uh, Second thing you're going to need, calibrated thermometer. And when I mean calibrated, I mean accurate. I need I mean accurate thermometer. 
you can calibrate a thermometer like a candy thermometer or a brewing thermometer or whatever. Typically, uh, at least good ones will have like a nut on the back of the stem of the thermometer and you can get back there and you can twist it and kind of fine tune the temp. The best way to do it is to take that thermometer, throw it in a pot of boiling water, like a good rolling boil, and then uh, twist in that dial until the, until the needle reads boiling temperature. And I know some of you out there are like, well, boiling temperature is 212F or 100C. It's like, yeah, at sea level, dickhead, at sea level. Where I'm at in, in the glorious state of Wisconsin, in the southern end, we're about 800 feet above sea level. So that means boiling temp is about 210. So that's what my thermometer is calibrated to is 210 degrees. Find out wherever the hell you live, what your elevation is. Do a little, a quick Google and then that'll that'll figure. Let Google do all the thinking for you, and then you can calibrate your thermometer accordingly. Because you don't want a thermometer that lies to you, because that's horseshit. Um, the next thing you're gonna need ingredients. You're gonna need your water. You're gonna need your malt. You're gonna need your hops. You're gonna need your yeast. You're gonna need all those. You're gonna need that malt to be crushed. Uh, you can't just have uncrushed malt still in the husk. It's not gonna work that way. <laughs> it's just it's gonna be pretty shitty beer if you, if you don't have it crushed. Um, the next thing you need, uh, some sort of large stirring device, uh, utensil, uh, mash paddle. Um, you can buy those or make them. A large spoon or a whisk, uh, those also work very well. Something that is just a good agitator of, uh, of mash. <laughs> and just also, just in general, a good utensil. I'd advise having a large spoon and a whisk or a large spoon and a mash paddle. Always works out very well. Um, a reliable transfer method to get the liquid from one thing to another, whether that's hosing or pumps or, you know, hosing using gravity or hosing with pumps, well, yeah, whatever the fuck, uh, just a reliable method to transfer liquid from one vessel to another in multiple different vessels. You're going to need that. Typically, that's included in, in a system, but I felt the need to kind of accentuate that because with some systems that might be out there, people might not be thinking about that. So you're going to need sort of a reliable transfer method, even if it comes down to just having a funnel and then dumping it in, you know, by hand or something like that. That, you know, you're just going to you're going to need something to make your life a little bit easier in that regard. Um, next thing, a fermentation vessel. Refer to the last episode I just did about fermenters. You're going to need a vessel complete with bung and airlock. Without for to to for the yeast to make beer, humans make wort, yeast makes beer. Never forget that. So you're gonna need that, um, and then the next thing you need is sanitizer solution, especially on the cold side. After after you're done with the boil, sanitizer is key. You're gonna need just I would like get a bucket, get a five gallon bucket, fill it up halfway with sanitizer solution. You're you're gonna need it, and then uh, you're gonna need about three to six hours. Three to six hours of your time, depending on how on the ball you are and how fucking how dialed in your system is and how fucking efficient you are with cleaning while you brew and all that sort of shit. You're going to need three to six hours to get this shit done. So, and maybe an extra set of hands if you're doing a bunch. So I, I suppose I should have included that that little and honorable mention, possibly an extra set of hands. Brew with a bud. Get your brew bud. So anyway. All right, so now you got all that shit, right? Got all that shit? Good, great. All right, let's make beer. Also, uh, you're going to need a beer for when the boil starts. You're going to need a beer to crack open. That's another thing. Quick, all right? 
So grab that, get a, get a sixer or whatever, get something, because you're going to want it for when you start boil. Start the boil. Do not drink it before the boil. We already we talked about this earlier. But anyway, step one. Step one, we're going to heat to strike. We're going to heat to strike water. What is strike water, you may ask? Strike water is the water that you're going to use for your mash. And you got to get some water, heat it up to a temperature that is roughly 8 to 10 degrees, depending on the system. I mean, it could be more, it could be less, I don't know. But I've found that most most systems that I've seen and brewed on, which isn't that many, but I've brewed on a couple, and I, or I've hung out and been part of brews on a couple. And the typical rule of thumb is for a 5 or 10-gallon batch, you're probably looking at uh, eight to eight strike temperature on your water needs to be about eight to ten degrees higher than your desired mash temp. Because think about it, you're going to add a bunch to to mash in. You're going to add a bunch of cold. But you know, in comparison to the water, you're going to add a bunch of colder grain, room temperature grain, and that's going to bring the temperature down of that of the of the entire volume of that container. It's going to bring the temperature down. So do a little bit of playing around. It's kind of system dependent. Some systems, you know, depending on the vessel and stuff like that, may be a little different. But what we're trying to do here is we're just going to, we're going to heat up some water and get it to, uh, get it to that temperature where once we add our grain, we'll just, we'll, we'll hit our desired mash naturally. So the next question is, well, how much water? How much water? We got to get some water in a kettle to heat it up, right? So how much of it do we want? Um, there's a bunch of calculators out there, just straight up anything that involves like volumes and stuff like that. There are calculators out the fucking wazoo on the internet and they're free and they're wonderful resources. Just Google strike, you know, strike temperature calculator, strike volume calculator, you know, sparge volume, whatever, all that, all that sort of shit. Anything I'm talking about with regard to trying to figure out volume and shit like that, there are calculators out there, but there's a couple little cheat codes here that I typically use just as a rule of thumb, um, the rule of thumb with water is if you're doing a five-gallon batch or what, however much beer you're trying to make, so you're trying to do five gallons of beer, let's say, a five-gallon batch of beer, however much beer you're trying to make, you're going to need twice the amount of water in order to do it. So you're making five gallons, well, you're going to need 10 gallons of water. You're making 10 gallons, you're going to need 20, you know, whatever. you can do math, you know, you get it, you understand, we're there, we're, we're on it, you know, we, we fucking passed first grade math or whatever, I don't know. When, when do you learn multiplication? I don't even know. Probably like second, third grade, somewhere in there. Anyway. So, yeah. Um, so, there's that. And then, um, in particular, strike water. A uh, good strike water calculation that I've found, too, that I kind of use most often is um, kind of it relates to the amount of uh grain you're using so what you do is you do it's one and a half quarts of water for every pound of grain that is in your grain bill so say you're doing it your your the beer you're brewing has 10 pounds of grain so that means we need to do 10 times 1.5 1.5 quarts so 10 times 1.5 is 15 that's 15 quarts Four quarts to a gallon. Sorry, we're on the imperial system. I'm an American. I don't fucking we don't dick around with metrics. Sorry, do your own conversion. I can't. I'm not. I ain't, I ain't about that right now. So we got 15 quarts. 15 quarts divided by four because we're looking for gallons here for just the sake of easy measurement. 15 divided by four, 3.75. Three and three quarters gallons is what you need for strike on a 10 pound grain bill. Just just kind of a quick, quick fucking 
easy bullshit there. But uh, anyway, that's step one. Strike water. 8 to 10 degrees above your desired mash temp. And then I gave you a quick little uh, how to do on how to figure out your volume. And then, as always, you can just hit up the internet and fucking figure that shit out. Just Google strike volume calculator. Boom. Step two. We're mashing in. This is the this is where we're gonna take that strike water, and we're either going we're and we're going to combine it with our crushed grain to create a mash. And what we're going to do is we're going to add that crushed grain slowly, and we're going to thoroughly stir it with our whisk, our spoon, or our mash paddle, or a combination of three or whatever the fuck. And we're gonna do it very slowly, and we're going to stir very thoroughly because the last thing we want. Jesus Christ, I'm, I got this burp that's stuck in the fucking back of my throat. Fuck. Anyway, last thing we want is a dough ball. And a dough ball is basically uh, just a clump of grain that is, it just forms a ball. When you, If you just dump a bunch of grain into hot water, sometimes it'll just kind of like form a ball. And all the, all the grain and shit that's on the inside of that ball just isn't being contacted by the hot water. So you're not getting the sugars out of it. And therefore... Uh, you're going to have shittier efficiency and you're going to make shittier beer and shitty beer is not tight. So what we want to do is just add kind of slowly and then constantly stir thoroughly. You don't need to be chopping at it and stirring like it's like your life depends on it, but you need to be just kind of consistent and breaking up any dough balls that you see and just doing what you can to make sure you, you make like just a nice, thick, consistent slurry that is your mash. And then once we do that, we're going to need to keep that temperature, that desired temperature. So say you hit it dead nuts. We're shooting for 152 and we hit it fucking just on. We were, were right on the mark. We hit it 152. Boom, we're here. Well, that temperature's dropping. It's dropping and it, it may, and it's coming down. So what we got to do for whatever our fucking, you know, whatever our desired mash time is, we got to maintain that temp for as long as we can. So... Again, this is sort of a system-dependent thing, but uh, if you got like the igloo mash ton that you made, you threw a you know you threw a ball valve on a on an igloo ma- you know ten gallon igloo cooler. Those things work great. You ju- you're just using one of those, or say you're just using a kettle, and then you're gonna throw some sort of a jacket on there, like a you know like a neoprene sort of thing, or like I I have legit used just a Carhartt jacket, and it works awesome on one of my kettles because it kind of wraps around the kettle perfectly and it's just kind of a purely by accident this jacket works awesome for mashing in um but uh but whatever it is i've seen guys wrap blankets i've seen guys you know you can get like firm or not firm jackets but yeah like i said neoprene and various different insulators that will help maintain temp on the mashing vessel um all-in-one electrics and stuff will just that element in the in the all-in-one electrics will just maintain the temp, you know, plus or minus a few degrees. So that's nice with those things. But we need to try and keep that mash at that temperature for however long our mash, our recipe dictates. Um, typically, the old school sort of mentality is you got to do it for an hour. Um, there's a lot of shit out there these days saying that an hour is bullshit and you can get away with, you know, the highly modified malts that we use and the super cool malt techniques that we use make it so that we can extract sugars much more quickly and you could probably get away with a mash in about 15-20 minutes. Truth be told, I used to mash for an hour all the time. Now I've kind of moved, I do it for about a half hour and I've noticed no decrease in inefficiency. So take that with, you know, take that how you will. 
Um, you can get away with mashing for a lot shorter time than an hour. Um, so that's step two. That's mashing in. So we're going to mash in. We're going to fucking insulate. We're going to make sure that our temperature stays there. And we're going to move on to step two and a half. Because step two and a half is the lauder phase. And the reason it's two and a half is because brewing a, the brewing a bag techniques, which is pretty much what the all-in-one electrics employ, and then just the traditional brewing a bag, those techniques... And those systems and those processes circumvent the lauder phase. You're not laudering. But if you're on a traditional three-vessel, if you're doing it the old-school way... Let me wet my whistle. Mm-hmm. Um, God, Keller Hayes is good. Um, that was orangey as tits. That was really good. Um, yeah, if you're doing it the traditional way, you got to lauder. And laudering is the process of settling a grain bed in a mash. So what we're going to do is we're going to get a strainer, some sort of a fine mesh stainless steel strainer. This is something you may or may not have. Um, if you don't have one, get one. You find some sort of straining mechanism and then a vessel to hold whatever it is you know that, that you're going to be straining, which is the wort. Um, so what you're going to do is you're going to run off a bunch of wort out of, the, out of your mash tun through the strainer and into, your, into a holding vessel. And you're going to do that until that wort begins to run pretty clear. And once it runs pretty clear and you stop getting a bunch of sediment in your strainer, you're going to do this process over and over again, Um, you know, little by little, maybe running like, you know, a gallon off every time you do it. And you're going to do this until your wort runs clear and it's not leaving a ton of sediment in your strainer. And once once it's done that, that means your grain bed has settled out and it is ready for a sparge, which is... The fucking step three for everybody. Step three for everyone is the sparge. So what we're going to do on a sparge, separate vessel, separate thing. We're going to heat sparge water to somewhere between 170 and 180 degrees. Let's split the fucking difference. We'll call it 175. The door is opening. (laughs) I'm doing a podcast. Is that okay? Yeah, I can edit it. I'm probably not going to, though. No, I'm going to hang out and do this, and okay. I'm fine. Right. I think so. Yeah. Love you guys. See ya. That's my mom, everybody. Bye, mom. <laughs> so where were we at? We're at sparge. Yeah, okay, we're at sparge. We're going to heat the water 170 to 180 degrees, split the fucking difference. We're calling it 175. You're going to take that water, and then we're going to use that to then rinse the grain. That fucking that we were mashing with, we're gonna rinse it off because we want all the sugars and starches that we can get. So what we're gonna do? There's kind of two prevailing methods. One of them's kind of old school. The other one is kind of the way everybody does it. There's batch and fly sparging. Batch sparging is basically you run all of that word out of your mash tun into your into your inevitable boil kettle or whatever, or just a different vessel, and then you fill the mash tun again with that sparge water. And you essentially do mash round two. That's what a batch sparge is. You essentially just do another mash and then you run that off again into the boil kettle and then you boil. The second technique, the more popular technique, fly sparging, which is basically just a slow drizzle over the top of a grain bed, maintaining kind of a water level over the top of the grain bed that's like an inch or two thick. And you're going to slowly drizzle that hot water over the top of the grain bed while you slowly drain it. You kind of like match the flow. You like you, while you're draining wort, you're also adding hot water that is also then rinsing that grain bed, and you kind of do it all in one shot. 
and it's kind of a more efficient method and it takes slightly less time, I suppose, than just like mashing all over again in the batch sparge technique. Um, and it's, you know, and it, it, it typically it yields higher efficiency. So a lot of guys are all about it. So those are the two different techniques. You can dig, you can delve into those and figure out your own methods of how you want to do them. Um, and to each their own, whatever you want to do. Uh, but either way, those are the two most popular techniques to sparge. And then once you've sparged, yo, uh, coming in here, fucking coming in hot, listening to it later and realized I fucking missed something. The sparging on the uh, on the electric and the brew in the bag fucking systems, it's a little bit different. You're just going to run hot water over the bag, give the bag a squeeze. I know there's a lot of guys out there so like, don't squeeze the bag, tannins and fucking oh, all that shit. Another thing I didn't really talk about. Don't let that sparge water get any hotter than 180 degrees because then you might extract tannins, which is an undesirable bittering quality that comes from the husks of grains and shit like that. It's just not a very fucking cool taste. So make sure you keep that sparge water below 180 degrees. And then um, same thing with the the electric systems. You're just basically going to be dumping a bunch of uh, hot water over top of the grain while you're draining that basket into that into that all-in-one vessel and stuff like so the sparge remains relatively similar um it's relatively similar i mean it's it's very very similar um to that sort of fly sparge technique just not as involved um it's also very it's quicker um you kind of lose a little bit in the efficiency but you the trade-off is that uh these these systems are way more streamlined and all that so we, we talked about it we talked about it a couple episodes ago it's all fucking done and over with but i just had to fucking cut in and make sure i let everybody know about that shit because listen to it again i realized i done fucked up and didn't talk about it so back to the bullshit you're gonna take all that work and all the all the runnings from the sparge, and you're going to get it into the boil kettle, which is where we're going to get into step four. The bo- oh fuck, uh, back into back into step three into the sparge uh, volume for sparge again. Um, volume for water for sparge. You can you can look up sparge volume calculators all you want, but at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is we're just trying to hit a target pre-boil wort volume. So um, basically, it comes down to how much beer are you trying to make, or how much how much beer are you trying to make, and then uh, how long of a boil are you doing. So if you're going to do an hour boil at like a medium vigor on that boil, you're going to boil off probably a gallon. So that means you need about six and a half pre-boil gallons of wort. So that way you have five and a half so that when it ferments and you lose a little bit and you're not, there's no way you're going to be able to get everything out of a fermenter. You're going to lose a bit, a little bit, like I said, during fermentation. So you need about six and a half gallons. Basically, you're just going to, you're going to keep sparging until you're at that pre-boil volume. And, um, but like I said, if you want to be a big old fucking nerd about it, you can go and, you know, all the calculators in the world exist and you can go and figure that out. Quick Google. But I would say just keep it simple and then keep sparging until you hit that volume, that desired pre-boil volume. So speaking of pre-boil volume, we're going to get back, get into the boil. Step four. Boil's pretty fucking simple. Once the sparge is complete and you've run all that wort and all those runnings into a boil kettle, you got to bring that to a boil. And, or you've, you know, you've, you've maintained, you've done your sparge, you rinsed your bag, you squeezed the bag, or you rinsed the grains in your basket on an electric system, whatever you've done. You gotta bring that to a boil. Boil it, boil it for the desired time, whatever the recipe says you ought to be doing. Um, 
and you're gonna add your hops in this phase. The earlier you add your hops, the more isomerization of those acids you're gonna get. That's how. That's where you're gonna get your bitterness. Um, so, I take with that. Take that information how you will, um, but add your hops per your recipe, and uh, and then you're gonna move to and then kill your boil, kill your boil, and then move to step five, which is the chill phase. All right, everybody, chill. <laughs> that's a that's a great. Uh, Batman and Robin? Is that forever? No, that's Batman and Robin. That's the Clooney one. That's the Clooney one with Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. Yeah. Um, (laughs) The Ice Age! (laughs) Um, But we're going to chill the wort. We're chilling the wort. So there's various different methods on how to do this. But what we're trying to do is we're going to cool that wort down from boiling temp down to yeast pitching temp, which varies based off of your yeast strains. But for most ales is around 70. Lagers is a little lower. Um, so, and, uh, there's various methods and various tools that you could use to make this go faster. Um, the, some methods include just transferring it into the fermenter, into your, into your fermenter or fermentation vessel, or just a secondary vessel of some sort, and then cooling it down naturally, just letting it cool down, taking the day it would take for, to bring stuff from boiling temp down to yeast pitch temp, um, which, you know, some guys do that and it works out just fine for them, but that is a hell of a long time to wait to pitch your yeast in my opinion. So the other, the other methods involve using tools, tools like an immersion chiller, which is this big old coil, usually made out of copper or stainless steel that you then run cold water through that is submerged or, you know, immersed in the wort. And that cold water runs through that coil. And then that energy, that heat energy is then sucked away into that coil and that's how it chills down your wort quickly. You can usually chill down a batch of beer in about 15 minutes with one of those immersion chillers. I advise anybody getting into it that's serious about it, pick up a fucking immersion chiller. They're tight. Um, there's also plate chillers. Um, plate chillers are a little bit more complicated, but um, they work super fucking good. They're also a little bit more difficult to clean as far as I understand. I don't have one, but everything I've seen about them seems like they're kind of more of a pain in the ass that I'm that I'm willing to get into. But hey, to each their own. If you want to get into it and feel like a pro, get yourself a plate chiller. I, they work a little. They work even faster than immersion chillers, which and the plate chillers involve pumping wort through a set sort of a maze of plates inside of this, you know, inside of a metal sort of container, and also pumping cool liquid in there and sort of cooling cooling your wort that way. And um, it's they they're incredibly efficient at chilling, but they're also more difficult to clean, and they're more expensive, and you gotta have pumps and all this other shit. But if that's the way you want to go, great. But uh, not for me. I'm all immersion chiller. So uh, yeah, we're gonna chill that word. Then once we get it down to pitching temp, we're gonna move on to step six. We're gonna transfer that shit to a fermenter, and we're gonna pitch our yeast. We're going to transfer the chilled wort to a clean and sanitized fermenter. This is where that bucket of sanitizer, also back there in that chill phase, forgot to mention, this is where that sanitizer comes into play. Nothing, absolutely nothing should touch your post-boil wort unless it's been sanitized. So have a bucket of sanitizer hanging around. Anything that touches it hits that sanitizer first and then touches the wort. The last thing you want is an infection because that shit... It's fucking stupid, dude. Most untight shit. So anyway, um, we transfer that word into a clean and sanitized fermenter. Whatever you got going, refer to episode five. 
uh, where I talked about fermenters. If you don't know what the fuck you got going with fermenters, but grab a fermenter, clean and sanitize, throw your word in there, and then you're gonna pitch your yeast as directed based off of the yeast strain on the you know however you want to do it. And then it also helps to oxygenate your work. You can either get a can of O2 with like a, you know, an oxygen wand and actually literally inject oxygen into your work. Or you can just kind of shake it around or, you know, while you're transferring, just kind of agitate it and make a bunch of bubbles and a good foam in there and kind of just mix in a bunch of oxygen. Because guess what? Yeast love oxygen pre-fermentation. Before they've, before they've eaten a bunch of sugar, they love oxygen afterwards beer hates oxygen so fucking it's kind of you gotta kind of it's like a fucking two sides of a coin there so kind of agitate get some oxygen in there the yeast love that and then seal with a sanitized sanitized clean and sanitized rubber bung and an airlock filled with sanitizer solution um and then let the yeast do its magic make you some beer and then boom you got fucking beer so i think that's fucking it I think that's 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 the brew day. And depending on how fucking tight you were with like, you know, staying on point and get shit done and fucking cleaning while you brew, clean while you brew, probably about four hours later, here you are, you're probably enjoying a beer and and loving fucking that you just made some tight ass shit. You know? You know what I'm saying? You just it just feels good, especially when you go down the next morning after you fucking you pitched your yeast and you go down and you just see bloop. Or just the, the faintest of the three-piece airlock air and the faintest little pop-up. That's one of the greatest feelings in the world. That's like, all right, hell yeah. So yeah, uh, I think that's about it. That's about all I got for you. Again, rate, review, subscribe, follow, all the bullshit. I'd really appreciate it. Hit me up on the email, yoyabring at gmail.com. Uh, and fucking prost, everyone. Prost. Be tight. Prost.